Hey, this is Mike from Theology on Mission podcast. This episode, Dave and I did in partnership with Seminary Now. Seminary Now is a video streaming platform that was created at Northern Seminary. It's like Netflix meets theological education. In this episode, I sit down with Dave and interview him on his new book about the church, which is also a course on Seminary Now. You can find out more at seminarynow.com. And as always, check us out at seminary.edu. Come and study at Northern Seminary. Okay, friends, thanks for listening. This is a little different, Fish, because normally when we do the podcast, you're the one kind of driving the train, but now you can just kind of sit back and let me drive it. Hey, uh, Mike Moore, I th- are we doing a podcast right now? Yeah, we're doing both. All right. Nice. Uh, you have and, a new... And this time, you get to do all the work. <laughs> that is true. Dave does 90% of the work. I just kind of hit the buttons in the background normally <laughs> when we're doing the podcast. Uh, welcome. Good to see you. Very humble, uh, modest Mike Moore there, ladies and gentlemen. He actually works his uh, butt off, ladies for and gentlemen, for Northern Seminary, for the podcast, for the programs, <laughs> and of course for a Seminary Now. Uh, right now, that is. Appreciate that. Um, do you have a Seminary Now subscription, Dave? Uh, I thought I'd get one. Okay. Kind of. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, yeah. if you don't, you can get it for 40% off with the coupon code really? I just <clears throat> shared. 40%, which is the same as the Blackhawks winning percentage this past year. Ouch. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, l- l- little hockey joke in there. Um, for those of you who aren't familiar, we like to do a lot of hockey jokes when we, when we chat. Right. Did, did you find out if your dad's tuned into the Seminary Now program tonight? Uh, I, I don't think he is, but I think he's enjoying that hockey game. That's happening right now. But moving forward, moving on, uh, unless there's anything else you'd like to say before we I think we're ready to go. Start warming up. I think let's roll. All right. Well, before we- Uh, Can um, I just say, it's really great to be here, despite all the banter between Moore and I. I mean, (laughs) we're so used to bantering that we can't stop ourselves, but it's really great to be here talking about uh, what is the church and the Seminary Now course. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, Before we get into the questions- uh, we're also giving away a one-year subscription to Seminary Now and a copy of any of Dave's books. So uh, the book that we're talking about a little bit today uh, or his more recent, longer book, The Church of Us Versus Them. So if you want to win one of those books uh, and a one-year subscription, you can just share this live stream on Facebook within the next 24 hours and we'll draw a winner. All right. If you see, uh, if you're on Facebook, if you look off to the side, look in the bottom, you'll see a chat box. So anytime during the event, ask a question and we'll throw it up into the chat and uh, Dave will take an answer. Um, But before we get to your questions, I'm just going to start us off with um, a few questions that I've prepared. Uh, And I wanted to write this down, Fitch, but I didn't. So you can just, you can um, give me the answer to this equation. 
So belief plus practice equals what's your answer? Well, it depends on what class we're in, but uh, <laughs> sociologically, belief plus practice equals culture. Okay. That's how culture takes shape. Practices, wow. yeah. embodying beliefs, shapes a culture. So what would you say if I said belief plus practice equals church? Um, the culture of the church, absolutely. In yeah. fact, uh, yeah. Uh, I'm, yeah, okay, the better answer, you're telling me I was wrong with the first answer, it should be church? <laughs> no, it, it, it can be culture too. Uh, what, what I'm trying to do is unpack a little more of uh, your ecclesiology. So uh, in the chorus and in the book, you talk a lot about these two things, belief and practice. You spend a little more time talking about um, practice. So could you maybe, um, could you unpack for people who are listening and people who are watching um, why it is that you are uh, reclaiming the practices as central to the life of the church. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, so let's just take that as a dictum, that police, beliefs plus practices equal the church or equal the shaping of a culture. Um, in the history of Christianity, if you look at Acts chapter 2, if you look at the beginnings of the church, it was a community of practices. Acts chapter 2 goes to great lengths to talk about how they fellowshiped, how they ate food together. Mm -hmm. They broke bread together. Um, they um, they pr gave praise together. They said their prayers together. They studied the apostles' teaching together. Uh, all those things, folks, are part of the what shape a church and center the people into the living presence of of Christ, and they shape people not just on Sunday morning for an hour and a half, but they shape us to live the same way, reconciliation, the way we eat, the way we proclaim gospel, the way we spend time with each other, especially those who are hurting, the way we um, spend time with children, the way we practice the gifts, the way we pray together are all part of an, an entire whole way of life. So church is much more than a bunch of programs. It's a whole way of life that is shaped by practices. Now, if I can just go a little step further, often yeah. when we get into a Christendom culture, when the culture around us is Christianized, when people are um, you know, shaped by a larger culture, the church reverts back to emphasizing beliefs hmm. that should be practiced uh, it should be lived out in practices. And what that often does is it shapes us to become, I don't know, heresy hunters as opposed to disciplers and dis being disciples of Jesus. And so we have, to, we have to watch the interplay between practices and beliefs. Hmm. And in post-Christendom and mission, I think practices become the means by which we lead churches into the presence of Christ. They embody beliefs. They're they're not possible apart from beliefs, yeah. but they're the way we access beliefs. Whereas in Christendom, we often emphasize, what do you believe? Are you a heretic or not? Yes, you can become a member of our church. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it, it sounds like uh, you're attempting, attempting to recover some of the practices that have been lost in church. You know, for me, growing up in evangelical Christianity, the big beliefs were, read your Bible, witness to your friends, get saved. 
know, th- I mean, th- th- those were some of the beliefs and practices that were kind of central to uh, my experience in evangelical Christianity. But in your book, you're expanding the practices beyond just personal quiet time, personal prayer time. You're trying to recover more of a holistic uh, sense of the practices. I wouldn't say holistic. I would say uh, these practices are social practices or Mm -hmm. uh, what Anabaptists have referred to them as social sacraments. Mm -hmm. Together, they bring us together as a people and Christ's presence is made manifest among us in these practices. And of course, this goes for the way we eat together, starting with the Lord's table. It goes with the way we reconcile. He says, when two or three get together, reconcile and agree, I am there in the midst. Mm -hmm. You know, all these were Roman Catholic sacraments through the Middle Ages, but they kind of got individualized. Uh, and now we've lost their ability to shape us as a people in the world uh, that impact the way we live with one another and give witness to the gospel to one another. So this question that you're raising right off the top, practices versus beliefs mm-hmm. or how practices and beliefs work together to shape a people and shape us into mission? Yeah. I think is the is really important question for us who are shaping churches for mission. Yeah, can I um, can I play um, a little antagonistic role here and uh, kind of prod and push on the belief part? Antagonistic? Of- are you going to be antagonistic? With me? <laughs> That's because true. That's if a- you are, I cannot cooperate because God <laughs> cannot work through it. But if you're going to disagree with me, that's part of being yeah. a people together. That okay, was fa- that, that was fodder for you when I said antagonistic. <laughs> so I was setting you up for that. Uh, um, a, a disagreement. Mike that Moore, I- you and I have been together for too long. This is <laughs> it's just- this is this is just another strange <laughs> episode of you and I playing off each other in these little <laughs> having a phone uh, call <laughs> debates. <clears throat> so. Um, uh, a disagreement that I receive often is, um, well, we can't just all get into the room and just do a bunch of practices. At some point, we're going to have disagreements about belief. Like we're going to have maybe a disagreement. Uh, let's say it's about women in, uh, women in leadership. Yeah. So um, how, do we, like, how do we navigate those differences of belief when they come up in our church? Um, when the practices are so embedded in the beliefs, like you said, when it gets to the uh, areas of disagreement, then then what do we do when the church has a conflict with well, how we, well, we uh, have, hold those beliefs? We have been given a practice, <clears throat> a discipline for when conflicts arise. And it's modeled in the New Testament, not just in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20, but in Acts chapter 15 and all over the place, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, numerous places. Uh, but the first thing to do when you have a disagreement is go to the person uh, directly, face-to-face. Don't uh, conceptualize the disagreement. Hmm. That person is uh, – I didn't like the way that person uh, – uh, I didn't like the way that person talked about masks or talked about requiring wearing masks hmm. – at the Sunday morning service. Well, don't conceptualize and say that anti-masker. 
<laughs> and then gather a group of people together and go, we're the, we're the pro-masker people. Uh, we're against all you anti-maskers. Mm-hmm. Go directly to the person and yeah. say, I disagree with you when you said we shouldn't wear masks because I'm concerned about Georgette. She's hmm. 70 years old. She has a comorbidity. She's struggling and she desperately needs to be with us. It's a matter of life. And yet she doesn't feel safe if we don't wear masks. Oh, anyways, all the, I, I, go, I go too long on this. But the point is, it's amazing how conflicts start to break down almost immediately. Hmm. But if they consist, if they persist and George... The guy that doesn't want us to wear masks can't agree with the guy who does. Then we bring another person in and another person just yeah. to hear one another. Yeah. At our church, if things get to be such an important thing that now uh, a large sector of the church body is not agreeing, let's say on women in ministry mm-hmm. or let's say on masks, then we gather. We call it a Friday night town hall meeting. We gather to discuss, hear the disagreements, let the teachers teach, submitting one to another, including the teacher submitting to the others, and slowly we learn. At our church, we try to start with what are the presumptions you bring to this text, and where did you learn them, and out of what social context did you uh, learn them in? Hmm. And suddenly we begin to see some things we didn't see before. Yeah, and uh, I'm I'm I could go on and on, but I have seen uh, people work out disagreements this way. I have seen people who still don't agree with the general agreement that came out of such a meeting, but they trust the Holy Spirit's at work now in this community, and they can trust this church and move forward with no reticence. Mm, That's the kind of church bodies we need today, in the midst of this craziness that we're in, not only to deal with church conflicts, but to enter the world and all the conflicts that are at work in the world. Hmm. It's good stuff. If you're, uh, if you're just joining us, um, I'm Mike Moore. We're here with Dave Fitch talking about his new course in seminary. Now, what is the church? It's also a book, um, out with Herald press. So, uh, if you want to get a copy of the book, if you're looking for a free year subscription to Seminary Now, you can uh, share this live stream in the, in the next 24 hours, and we will put your name into a drawing. All right, um, David, I got another question for you, um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna frame it in a little bit of u- a unique way. So you gotta follow me, okay? Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Your book, uh, What is the Church and Why Does It Exist? It's a book on ecclesiology that's framed in the form of a question, or the title's framed in the form of a question. There are several books on ecclesiology, and the title is a question. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you the question, but before you can answer it, you got to tell me who wrote the book. All right? Oh, my. Oh, my. And this is what Holesclaw used to do to me all the time before. <laughs> Put me on a spot. Okay, let's go. Let's roll. But, uh, you know, th- these, these questions actually fit in perfectly with your course and w- with the chapters of your book. I-, I only have two of them, so I'll let you take each one by one. Um, okay, so the first question, which is also a book, and you got to tell me uh, the author before you can answer the question. The question is this. 
Does God need the church? Gerhard Lofink. Oh, he didn't even didn't even hesitate. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you touch on this in your book, uh, but it, it, it's a question worth exploring. Um, does does God need the church? Is that a worthwhile question? Does God need the church? What do you think? Yes. All right. Next question. <laughs> <laughs> you want to you want to expand on a little more? Uh, tell us more I about think, about the uh, mission of God and how that relates with uh, yeah, God's church. Yeah, I believe that God has chosen because of who God is to work among us by His presence. This is as Douglas Campbell has spelled out in those about five chapters in the middle of that Pauline dogmatics yeah. book. This is why God needs relational space. By the way, I should probably not say God needs relational space. God chooses yeah. by his presence to require a relational space to work in the way he is, which is through his presence. Don't underestimate the power, the conviction, the dynamics to heal, restore, reconcile social spaces through his presence. But we don't give him much of a chance because we never open up space for his presence. This is what the church is. It's the founding relational space that Jesus, through whom Jesus extends his presence by his body into the world, thereby making manifest the reality of his work in the world and where he's taking the world and all the world can see it and join in. So um, I don't know. It's inconceivable that God can work uh, in this specific way that I'm talking about apart from the church. That doesn't mean he cannot work. He can work outside the church, mm -hmm. especially for preserving functions and keeping things in order. Uh, through, say, the government or what have you, but to redeem, restore, transform by his presence, nonviolent presence. Mm -hmm. God needs a relational space submitted to him, an opening space for him to work among them. And that's, by definition, the church. Hmm. Is, there a, is there a danger that it could make the church uh, too triumphalistic? Like, oh, no. You know, no? No, not at all. Uh, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, for years, reformed people, uh, even Karl Barth, was paranoid of making the Roman Catholic mistake, which is we own Jesus. Yeah, we we own the Eucharist. We own transubstantiation. The priest is the only one. Blah blah mm -hmm. blah blah blah. But this is a um, corruption of the church. Not I'm not getting down on Roman Catholics. Sure. Because I don't believe that's what they believe uh, to be orthodoxy. It's just a fallenness of the church. And by the way, we evangelicals and we Protestants have made a lot of very bad mistakes too. And that's, But as soon as we try to control God, as soon as we try to uh, uh, say, uh, you know what? Uh, this is one of my favorite questions. So... Um, in this book, Faithful Presence, in a, in a couple of footnotes, I go into Karl Barth. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Aha. Footnote 17, Appendix 3. You found that very fast. That's because I love this footnote. <laughs> um, and uh, Barth talked about this dynamic, okay? Jesus uh -huh. 
Um, the church depends upon its relationship to Jesus in submission to Jesus for its existence. But hmm. Jesus does not depend upon the church for yeah, his yeah. existence, for the son's existence. And that's called anhypostasis, anhypostasis. That's in, that's in footnote 17, appendix three of faithful presence. Uh, so I have this favorite phrase from Ken Hawk Harrelson, White Sox announcer, before he retired a couple years ago, whenever the batter of the opposing batter strikes out, he'd say, he gone. <laughs> and I believe Jesus is gone when we try to control him. You can't control Jesus. You can't control God. He's not God anymore once you do try to control mm. him or if you could control him. And this is why the church can never be triumphalistic. As soon as it is, uh, it is no longer the church. And we got plenty of examples of the church no longer being the church in the United States of America yeah. and maybe elsewhere. Yeah. Well, we'll probably get into that uh, in our, in our next question. That's also the title of a book. Um, do you want me to give you a clue about the author? No. Okay. All right. This is the question. This is the title of the book. Church. Why bother? Do you know who wrote that? Give me a clue. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he used to work at Christianity Today. And back before the Brady Theology and Mission Lectures were what they are now, he, he actually spoke. This would have, been, would have been about 20 years ago. He writes for more of a popular audience. Um, his last name rhymes Dan with- Kimball. I believe in Jesus, but not the church. Oh, I, I didn't even think about that one. This author, his last name rhymes with Clancy. It's not, it, it rhymes with Clancy. It starts, <laughs> with, it, it starts with a Y. Phil Yancey, there you go. Philip Yancey, there it is. One for two. I, hey, I feel I'm like, glad you threw in a reference to the uh, Brady Lectures, uh, yeah. Theology on Mission Lectures, because uh, Mike Gorman's coming in September to... Uh, Get our lectures back on task after taking a year and a half off. That's right. During COVID. September 23rd and 24th. Come to Northern Seminary and you can sign up for what is it, what is it five bucks? Yeah. And you yeah. get a breakfast? If you don't have five bucks, it's fine. Just just kind of come. Um, oh, yeah. Back to the question uh, that you didn't know the author to. Uh, <laughs> church. <laughs> uh, church. Why bother? It, it, it's, a, it's a worthwhile question right now when you look through... What's happening at the SBC church? We've seen all these mega church pastors fall. Even uh, our brothers and sisters in the Roman Catholic church are going through all kinds of scandals. Yeah. Um, and, and now there's a tug of war with the Eucharist and Joe Biden and politics. So why even, why even bother with this thing called the church? Well, you know, frankly, Mike, I think I answered that question in the previous question. Yeah, but th- God, did you? <laughs> was I too abstract? No, no, no. Right. It was a, it was a, a great answer, but um, I had to ask the question because I have the the book title down, and it's just you just wanted a good to stump me. I, I had to ask the question. Yes, of course. <laughs> um, I uh, hey, I just think uh, you know we are in a heap of trouble with the church today. Uh, I don't think I'm saying anything unusual. I think everybody yeah. knows it, feels it. Uh, people under the age of uh, 35, maybe 40, are walking away in droves. 
We could point to about 50 different reasons for that. Most people know them intuitively, if not uh, in extrinsically. So, uh, But the church is the place where if we gather uh, and are led uh, into his presence, we experience the manifest presence mm-hmm. of Christ like we can nowhere else experience it. And that experience of his presence is the most healing presence we can ever experience. And that presence is the most, uh, that sense of God and knowing him at work can sustain us. But if we just want to stay home at Bedside Baptist, for sure we can pray. For sure we can know some of his presence but the manifest presence, by manifest, I mean omnipresence is God is at work over the whole world. Yeah. We know that. But his presence becomes visible, visceral, concrete, manifest between people. Between people. This is a, I don't want to make it into a metaphysics, but there are some things that happen visibly between two people. People can see God at work. It's not just an inner subjective experience. We see him working between people. Yeah. So, you know, the the Catholics have always said God become Jesus becomes present at the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. The bread and the wine become Jesus. I don't know if I I, I think uh, there's some truth. There's some definite magnificent truth to that yeah he's located right there mm-hmm. the pentecostal brothers and sisters my ilk we we say the presence of christ is subjective internal i feel it yeah there's some truth to that us anabaptist pentecostals say also that jesus is present among us working to change our lives our relationships heal us um and actually change the world and all the social systemic mess that we're in right now. He will use us as we enter those spaces. So it's, mm. it's why, uh, you know, I, I understand the church has been a failure and it's a very tempting thing to walk away and say, yeah. forget you, pal. You've abused me one too many times. And mm. I know the feeling and I, and I, we need to give everybody space. To process the anger and the re- the resentment and the hurt that the church has caused, because it is a human fallen institution, but this church is where God chooses to work if we will just make space for Him, um, submit to Him, and allow Him to work in our churches. Mm-hmm. And maybe that's what this moment in culture is all about. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a that's a good way to to phrase it. This moment in culture. Um, and that's a good segue to uh, a question that we have actually from uh, one of our listeners from Gene. Uh, so Gene um, asked this question, uh, any thoughts about reappearing church by Mark Sayers and the perspective of this being a season of revival leading to renewal? And if so, in many ways, not unlike the story of God's people over time. Um, <clears throat> for the, For those who are not familiar, Mark Sayers is one of the a co-host of the podcast, This Cultural Moment. Oh, and look at that. You had it right there. H- have you read it, Fitch? Yes. Okay. So uh, t- to answer Gene's question, what do you think? Is this um, 
Is this a moment uh, that's beginning a season of revival that could lead to renewal in the church? Well, I basically just said that about two seconds ago, Mike. I believe this could be a cultural moment. Um, you know, I, I just see everywhere the questioning. Well, I, and I don't even know. Uh, this, this may not be a very popular thing to say. I don't even know if it's sons and daughters of evangelicals who can bring us to this moment <laughs> because there's so much anger and resentment going on that that kind of needs to be processed and time needs to be given and, and worked out. Uh, and really, we need churches that can provide healing and, and, and confidence again. But I believe in the culture, there's a lot of searching and brokenness. And I don't even think it's going to take very many Christians uh, for God to do a work of healing. If we can just gather in groups of 12 people, start praying for our neighborhoods and opening space for God to work and heal in the various places, the, the nooks and crannies of our towns. Um, again and again, I see examples of, you know, like uh, all, all the racialized problems we have, the racism that's running up and down the streets of where we live. And I see uh, people hungering for healing. But will we have people who know how to open space for Christ to work between, say, police and mm. persons of color who have been abused by the same police? Will we have people who can open space between uh, people, immigrants who have been abused mm. or broken by the systems and the churches bringing healing? Because these places, I believe, will be the places where God will work to bring transformation. And I pray churches, too, can get through this time. And uh, I like to say that after COVID, we're going to have a smaller group but maybe a more intense group uh, that of Christians hungering for, for something from God. So, yeah, I, I think this is the time. I, I, I pray this is the time, the cultural moment, uh, for, for a outbreaking of the presence of Christ among us, healing, transformation, calling people into his kingdom. Hmm. Yeah, we, we talked about that on the podcast, right? Going from measuring church uh, just based on attendance to measuring it based on density, Oh, Decre yeah. Decreased numbers increase the density of the church. Yes, I have a little piece in Outreach Magazine that you can Google on that. Because uh, I really think we're going to come out of this if we can just tend to what God is doing and not, you know, get amped up to try and return to normal as quickly as possible. Yeah. Having uh, a. We, I was talking to a, uh, a famous pastor who you and I know who I don't have permission to quote him on, but he mm -hmm. said to me, he said, because uh, they just started to open up church, this large church. He says only a third of the people that we had before are going to come back yeah. and gather like they did before. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just feel this is an opportunity to rethink and understand the social spaces that shape church for mission. Yeah. Yeah, we're seeing that everywhere. I was talking with a young pastor this weekend, and he said that his church is about 60 people with the average age of about 60, or maybe about 65 people, average age of 65. Um, they don't have a lot of youth in their church. Um, are, you, are you smiling because of the age thing? 
Not uh, really. I was, I'm, I'm wondering where you're going with this. Yeah, you're, you're wondering where I'm going with this. I, well, I'm, I'm on bated breath just waiting. Yeah. Well, um, he and I had different perspectives about it because his church seats, you know, 500 people. And they have 60 people in the pews on a Sunday. Um, but I think what you're saying here is that actually that could be an, that could be an opportunity and maybe God's doing something there. Um, rather than lamenting the numbers going down, we could actually look and see that God is holding a faithful remnant, uh, increasing the density of the church, and going to use that for his mission. Yeah, the density idea is that we have less people, but we have more uh, intensity because we have people who want to be faithful and are seeking God uh, because they're coming back and they want something real. Yeah. And uh, they're not just here to fill in a slot, a time slot, check check off something to do every week, uh, their duty, so to speak. No, they are here and they're willing to submit to one another and listen from mm-hmm. to each other and to what God's doing among us. And I think that's the recipe for a great renewal uh, uh, among the churches in the United States and Canada and elsewhere too. Yeah, excellent. Well, uh, that's uh, all the questions I uh, I have. And um, we thank all those who jumped on board and shared their questions and their comments. Um, but before I uh, move on to the next step of our program, I'm wondering, Dave, um, you have any final thoughts, final questions, observations for the good of the order? Do I have any final observations? Yeah, yeah. Is there anything else you want to tease out? Anything else that you want to uh, jump into that maybe you didn't get a chance to talk about, about your course or about your book? Um, well, I think the Seminary Now course, you know, when they when the peeps at Seminary Now asked me to do it, I I, I was in the midst of writing this little book and so, and, and frankly, I just want to say, I didn't know when I first agreed to write this book, like exactly what it was going to be. Um, but as I got further, and this is like, uh, what, this is like six months into COVID. Um, and I didn't write this for COVID, but I just uh, was able to put together in a very short book. And then and then the, the design of it is there's questions that are asked. And yet I did put theology into the book uh, in the footnotes that I just think it's a really un- neat, compact, best of all the ideas I could think of in ecclesiology. And I think it's a great introduction to rethink the what, the why, and the how of what is church. Why are we doing it anyways? And how? How do we go about organizing ourselves as the people of God in mission? And uh, I just think we got to ask those questions all over again uh, coming out of COVID. I also think it's very important that we provide social spaces for people to process. So many people are coming out of COVID. They've been in isolation. We've just been struggling. And there's brokenness in relationships that need relational connection. There's deconstruction going on. There's anger at the injustices and abuses in the world. It's like so heightened these last 16 months or however long this COVID thing's been going on. And I just think the pastor's got to lead and and shape these social spaces for people to talk. They need to be trained how to listen to one another 
and tend to the Spirit at work in one another and among us and allow space for God to work in our lives. And uh, if we do, if we do just a little bit of this, I just think there's enormous potential for God to work and do something new among us in all our churches and in our countries. Yeah. Amen to that. Uh, if you don't have a copy of the book, it is What is the Church and Why Does It Exist uh, by Dave Fitch. And it correlates well with uh, our new course in seminary now uh, with the same title. Reminder, if you don't have seminary now, you can uh, get it. Uh, today is the last day, 40% off with the coupon code ANNUAL, all capitals, and then four zero ANNUAL40. Uh, and it expires tomorrow. Thanks for joining us, Fitch. Always good being with you. And everybody's listening. We will catch you later. God bless. Bye-bye now.